This is LSU Experimental, where we explore exciting research occurring at Louisiana State University and learn more about the individuals posing the questions. I'm Becky Carmichael. How are you using the skills learned in your intro biology class every day? If you're LSU alumna Tiffany Sims Lindsay, you're utilizing those skills to craft tasty brews at Fighting Hand Brewery in Pineville, Louisiana. Tiffany and her husband opened the brewery in May 2021, and it is here where her expertise as a lab manager, chemical engineer, and food chemist have merged to bring hoppy beverages to life. In this episode, Tiffany shares her experience in science that led her on a path to happiness and upcoming inspirations for creating a welcoming space for her customers. Tiffany, I want to thank you so very much for joining me today. Um, I'm really excited for our listeners to get to know more about you and your brewery that you have started. Uh, So to kick things off, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and and your background? Sure. And and thanks for having me. Uh, I have a bachelor's and a master's from LSU in biology, and my master's concentrated in genetics. Um, and I have a bachelor's from LSU in chemical engineering. Wow. <laughs> Glutton for punishment. <laughs> what drew you to those fields? Um, biology, I always really liked. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a veterinarian. That was kind of what I wanted to do. But as I got older, I got more interested in genetics and really just gravitated towards that. Uh, I thought about a lot of different career fields in genetics. And uh, I did a lot of work managing research labs at LSU after I got my master's, but never really found anything genetic genetic wise that was a long-term career because grants end, you end up moving around and yeah. that's, that's how academia is. Um, yeah, I went back to chemical engineering because I had the chemistry pretty much already. And <laughs> so I picked chemical engineering and I, you know, figured I could make a living with that, uh, that that might afford me a better ceiling. And I've worked for a food flavoring company. I've worked for, uh, I'm working in manufacturing right now, aside from the brewery. You mentioned food flavoring. How did you get into this and what kind of flavors are you putting together? Well, that, that company in particular made food flavoring and they made it in a very concentrated form. So what I do in the brewery is very different, although we do use some, some purees and some naturally derived syrups. So we do use some of that to flavor some of the beers to get a consistent flavor. Because if you're using real fruit, it's not necessarily consistent batch to batch. So with the things I'm trying to um, hone the consistency batch to batch, I'm using flavoring. But I do do seasonals where I use real fruit. We have a Satsuma beer that I did. I use Satsuma peel. Oh, wow. Well, and when you're talking about, you know, consistency and kind of this, this connection between what you're doing at the brewery and how you're connecting the science to it, there's different types of things on the fruit, right? So you've got different microbes. They might also have some yeasts and things. So I think that this might be a good place for us to kind of dive into how you've been incorporating or making those connections between how you're brewing and the genetics that you use. One of the most important things with brewing and what homebrewers often get wrong first is sanitation. And so I'm, you can ask anybody who has brewed with me at all. I am very much a stickler about sanitation, about making sure something has been sprayed with sanitizer, 
unless it's going to be boiled, it needs to be sanitized. So uh, when we do have, you know, in, in the brewing process, there's a boil. So you add a lot of things in the boil that kills a lot of things. Anything you add after that, you're either depending on the prevalence of the yeast or you pasteurize it. And so I've, I've developed some ways to pasteurize stuff because I make wine as well. And I can't make it at the brewery and sell it here yet, but that is a future plan. But anytime I use fresh fruit for the wine, I pasteurize it. Tell me why, why do you have to pasteurize what you're doing for wine? Um, I, I typically do it just to keep the microbe level down, just to mm-hmm. make sure I don't get any off flavors because wine ages for so long. If you don't do this and then the microbes are still allowed to kind of feed off, they're, they're feeding off and they're creating more of them, right? Yeah. And they can create off flavors depending on what they are. And the problem is if you get it out of the wild, you don't know. Right. Uh, and long ago before people knew yeast existed, that's uh, what you used to do is you used to just put it in there and hope for the best. That's a lot of the, um, like the farmhouse ales that you'll find in the mm-hmm. stores where they'd leave them in the open tanks and it was kind of whatever yeast or microbes were yeah. in the air, that's how they would flavor them, which those happen to be some of my favorite beers, but it's also, it's really interesting. It's like, what is in the air? Yeah. It may not be the same batch to batch. <laughs> no, no. So, okay. So when you were studying genetics, do you use any of those skills as you're kind of thinking about uh, the yeast that you're using now, do you do any cultivation of your own yeast? I don't yet, but I plan to because it'd yeah. be very easy to. I just haven't gotten there yet. We don't have the equipment yet to do it, but I do have plans to do that and have my own yeast strains here. I think it'd be really fun to isolate a strain that's a Louisiana strain and use it and make sure it's food safe and all that. So I'd have to go through all those channels. I'm just thinking about all of the different things that could potentially be growing here in Louisiana in our uh, humid, moist environment with the Very heat. Good environment for yeast. <laughs> yeah. And, and just the complications that that could make. Let's talk a little bit about the turning point. I know from kind of our time at LSU, I know you were working in uh, different labs uh, through your career and you've worked with a, quite a few of our our faculty members. What was really that turning point for you that even after you did, you've been doing the chemical engineering work, what started to turn you into directing maybe your path toward brewing? It's, it's, it was kind of a long and weird path. So when I was in grad school, I started, I had this gaming group and I had a friend of mine in the group who used to make his own wine, sometimes beer, but mostly wine. And they moved to Idaho, not Idaho, Iowa, I think. They moved north and he didn't want to take most of his stuff with him. So Ohio. Moved to Ohio. <laughs> moved to Ohio. They all sound the same, don't they? <laughs> they're somewhere up there. Uh, <laughs> they're not down here. It is a long move. It, some of the stuff was glass, but he left a lot of it with me because I had some vague interest in doing it. Um, and then it sat in my attic for about 10 years. <laughs> So while I uh, finished grad school, worked for a while, uh, and then went back to school. And then so after I got out from chemical engineering, before, like between jobs, between getting done with chemical engineering and starting my first engineering job, I had about a week and I was like, I'm going to go get a kit and I'm going to try this. And I loved it. 
and I've never had something I was just like absolutely in love with doing. So I made a few more batches and started developing recipes. And by about the second, by the second batch, which was a batch of mead, I was like, okay, I think I want to try and figure out how to do this and if it's possible and started looking into it. It, it, when I actually started brewing was a turning point. I probably could have saved a lot of money had I started brewing in grad school. Because uh, <laughs> then I would have uh, made my own wine for a little while. So for our listeners who don't know, would you describe mead as kind of a honey wine? Yeah, it's a honey wine and it really is its own thing. It doesn't taste like other wine. It's very different and strong. It's unique, right? And I think that the different honeys that you can use based on kind of where you, you're gathering that material, it's it is really unique to that region. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the first batch that you put together? Do you remember? The, the kit was, I think, a honey uh, hepolyzin. Nice, nice. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it was a kit. I did extract brewing for a while, and then I started developing all grain recipes. And when I started developing the all grain recipes, it was like, okay, now I have all these things I can do where I couldn't, you know, extract brewing puts you about here and then all grain just kind of completely opens it up because there's so much you can do there's so many combinations what would you consider your title to be currently here it's pretty much just owner and I'm the head brewer um there are my recipes I do have somebody that helps me brew uh but most of it's my doing (laughs) (laughs) so so walk us through what's a typical day for you in this position well, I still have a day job. So my typical day, if we're open at night, will would be I work like seven to three-ish, come here, open up the place, and then work until nine. And on a day where I'm brewing, we would either have to have somebody at the bar, and it has to be a weekend day. We have to have somebody else manning the bar. And uh, I start, I get all the grain ready the night before, set my timer on my system so my water will be nice and warm. And uh, when I get here, all I have to do is start the mash where you combine the water and the, and the grain that the enzymes present change the starches into sugars. And then from there, you bring that liquid fraction over, rinse it, bring all your liquids over into your boil kettle, and start the boil, add anything you want to add there, hops, adjuncts, and then move it to the fermenter. And so once you get the liquid from the mash, what that's doing is changing and getting that into sugar form. Mm -hmm. And then that is kind of from there, the grain that was used would give you different types of sugars, right? Well, it gives you different flavors. So you have, um, you roast the grain or the maltsters will roast the grain different amounts based on the flavor profile that grain would have. So they have their own procedures they do for this. And so how you mix them here determines the outcome of your beer. Shout out to like very intro biology courses. I use an iodine test to make sure all my starch is converted to sugar. <laughs> I just dropped an iodine in there. And... But, but this, that is really kind of the cool part, right? Is that, you know, those things from as early as intro bio are really, really important in this process right now. And I want to make sure that, you know, for our listeners, we know this is not this is not small processes. I mean, my husband is a home brewer. And so we have, you know, seeing all of the equipment and all that's involved just to make a small batch is pretty labor intensive. You're doing this 
at your own brewery. So how much water are we talking? How much grain are we talking is involved? So some of the higher gravity beers I have take about 200 pounds of grain. Typically, it's not that much for the other batches, but the, the high gravity stuff is. It's around 200 pounds. I have a two barrel system, which in the world of commercial brewing is tiny. <laughs> There's no way I can support things like distribution at this size, but it's about 62 gallons for a batch. Of course, you end up with more in the boil because you're going to lose some and all of that, but you hope to get about 62 gallons out at the end. This is still quite a bit. And then you're, you're making this to sell and, you know, having, uh, you know, a place for people to come. So let's get into the actual brewery because I, I'm looking and since we're recording via Zoom, I could see there's some really cool green walls. Um, yeah. Tell us about the inspiration of your brewery. What's its name and uh, how did it get started? Uh, so we're Fighting Hand Brewing. Uh, the name comes from a Doctor Who episode because we're big old nerds. Uh, <laughs> and Really, I've been actively trying to push towards this for about three years. I've been brewing for about five and all of that, maybe four years, I've been actively pushing towards this now. And so do you take that inspiration from that Doctor Who episode? Do you take that and kind of apply it into some of the beers that you are putting together? Yeah, I have a list of like fun names for the beers right now. I don't have them named that because I still have to talk to trademark lawyers and all of that before we do all of that so they're like the amount of legalese and permits and things you need to open this sort of thing is definitely crazy for that amount of work you know the trademarks and the permitting how have you found that your work as a lab manager has helped influence kind of your ability to kind of manage all these pieces so uh I, I have a friend of mine that's still at LSU as a grad student and she has been here and she is, she walked into the brewery and she's like, oh yeah, I see the lab management. Yeah, this is you. <laughs> because of the way I organize everything and workflow and procedures and, you know, I've done that for years and years at this point. So give me some examples. What, what are some things that you are particularly unique that identifies your brewery as a place that you would manage? I don't know exactly. <laughs> she sees it. I'm not sure. Uh, I have, you know, I have a place for the clean kegs. They're marked as clean. There's a label and place for the dirty kegs. It's marked with a label. And I tried to, when we laid out all the equipment, I laid it out in order of the process. So that as you move through the process, you move through the equipment. I have SDS books. I, you know, I had all that before the health department was here. <laughs> like, but but these are, these are cool things to know. I mean, I think that that influence and the part about having good science is, you know, thinking about that process before you even get started, having the, the, the documentation, thinking about where pieces are going to go, what are you going to get next? So all of that planning, I think, whether you're doing it in, say, that intro lab or you're, you're doing it in your business, I think those are good, good yeah. pieces to highlight. What are some of your favorite brews right now? What are some of your favorite recipes and, and how did you get inspired by those? Um, some of the recipes are purposeful and some of them were accidental. <laughs> um, the blood orange wheat is my favorite one to drink, uh, quickly followed by the Hefeweizen. I'm a big fan of wheat beers. Um, I use wheat in a lot of my recipes and I like to put it up there because some people have wheat allergies. So I like to make that known, but um, probably the coffee amber is the um, the one that was a concept beer 
uh, I ha- I, we had a dog that we lost kind of suddenly um, early on in, in our in our time together, my husband and I. And uh, I was trying to do something that would emulate him. And he was reddish brown and black, brindle colored. And uh, <sighs> so I was trying to constantly find something to do with the, with the amber beer and something dark colored. I tried blueberries. I tried lots of different things and finally landed on coffee. And a lot of people really like it. And uh, that one, yeah, that one will do a donation to an animal organization in increments we haven't decided yet. <laughs> We're still just trying to keep the thing going. Wait, and so you, this, the brewery hasn't been open for very long, has it? How long have you been in operation? About two months. We opened Memorial two Day months. weekend. Wow. So this is yeah. really fresh and new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have regulars already. We have people who come and we were we had some people who were making friends with that I never would have met otherwise. And it's, it's an interesting, I'm very introverted, but it's an interesting thing to be behind the bar and talking to people all the time. Do you think because you have the backgrounds that you do, do you think that gives you a leg up in how you're creating beers and recipes? I like to think we're going to have fewer problems with contamination. Um, because I am such a stickler about making sure everything's clean and making sure everything's sanitary before it goes to the next step. So um, I like to think it'll help us in that way. We've got to put out good beer and good beer is clean. So because you've got, you're trying to grow your customer base, right? Mm -hmm. How tricky is it to create a good beer when it's not your favorite or you don't necessarily like it what how do you do this well the the first time i made a recipe i didn't intend to make was completely by accident and it was probably the stout or the apa but i don't like stouts i'm not a stout drinker i don't like them um i was just trying to add a little bit of a color to a wheat beer and i didn't realize how much that grain makes a difference uh you need very little to do what you need to do and uh, I thought I'd ruin the batch and my husband tried it. He's a stout drinker. He was like, oh no, this is, a, this is a good stout. You need to go ahead and finish this batch out. And let's carbonate it and see what it, how it comes out. And so that was the basis for my first stout recipe. It's complete accident. Wow. I, I didn't mean to do that, but it, it came out and it worked out. So sometimes embracing the mistakes works. <laughs> But you know, that, I feel like the Bob Ross, happy little mistakes, right? And is that particular stout, is that now in your rotation? Oh yeah. Yeah. It and a coffee version of the same stout are in rotation. They are, have been pretty well received for it being summer. So I'm already on my last keg of each and I've got another batch in the fermenter that's not done yet. So we'll see if I run out before the next batch is done and ready. Wow. And just to be clear, you're, you know, you're brewing, you're brewing everything on site. You have a day job. How are you managing your time and your creative energy to keep up? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, pretty much, I go to my day job. I come here yeah, and I have help. And that is very true. The stuff that happens day to day around here, you know, my husband has a guitar repair shop as well as he helps with the brewery. So if we have deliveries during the day, he's managing all of that and orders oh, wow. that get placed for things like Coke. And he's managing all of that just until I can 
do just this maybe one day. I don't, I don't have any grand hopes that that's going to happen within the next few years. <laughs> I'm probably going to keep a day job for a few years. So I, I pretty much, if I'm not here or at my day job, I'm at home trying to sleep or catch up on a few things at the house. So let's talk a little bit about some of those misconceptions that, that swirl kind of around what it is to operate and work in your own business. For you, what are some of those misconceptions about operating your brewery? For me, I did a lot of research ahead of time. I pretty much knew what to expect. I think a lot of people open a brewery and they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to drink beer all the time. And really, no, you're going to learn how to manage a business all the time. <laughs> and you're going to worry about being able to make the bills for the business all the time and, uh, and keep things rolling. But I've never been happier than, yeah. than working for myself. And I've never worked longer hours or harder than working for myself. I'd be glad to do it all the time. If you didn't have any limitations, what would be your dream brew to create and why? I like to have, of course, a good base style, but I like to twist it a little bit. Like the APA I have has grapefruit in it. You don't typically see that. Mm -hmm. um, you don't typically see a coffee amber. You'll see coffee stouts and coffee porters, and that's pretty typical, but you don't typically see that in an amber. <laughs> so I tend to, uh, to try and skew things a little bit. And I have some crazy things I want to try at some point. Things I'm going to do this fall is a brown ale that I've only done in an extract recipe. So I'm converting to all grain and I'm not testing it on a five gallon. I'm just going to go for it. Would you like them to see this, this kind of idea of just slightly twisted kind of element with the brews you're creating? Yeah, I try to. I, it, and like even, even the Kolsch, it's a lager style. It's kind of a basic beer, uh, but I use a hop in it. You wouldn't typically use in a Kolsch and it gives it this flavor that, you know, most people don't notice, but occasionally you get somebody who knows beer and they're like, what is that hop that you're using? And you're like, okay, you caught it. And so some people catch it, but it needs to be approachable. I'm in an area of domestic drinkers. So it needs to be approachable. And I need to be able to introduce them slowly because craft beer can get really crazy. And uh, I know some breweries do some really crazy stuff. Uh, I have some crazy things up my sleeve. I just need to get my feet under me. Am I right in understanding you already have a dart league? Yeah, yeah. We started with a dart league. <laughs> that was our first week we had a dart league. And so that's pretty cool. It's been the same core group of guys. It's mostly guys that join it. And we do have a few ladies that join it. But the last couple of weeks, we've had more people come, which has been really neat. You know, I really like to see that. So I'd love to see it grow. <laughs> they want me to put up more dartboards. I want to make sure it's a consistent number before we go down that road. I, I think it's really neat. We have somebody managing it who knows Dart League. I can hit the board occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I am not that person. I am not in the league, uh, but it's something fun for people to do because we, and we keep the boards up all the time. You can come anytime and borrow darts from behind the bar and, and play. And you also have a trivia night. Is, mm -hmm. is that kind of consistent too, that you're running? It's mostly consistent. Last week for some re reason wasn't, and I don't know what was going on, <laughs> but every other week has been really good. Uh, people seem to really enjoy it. This is a, a, I'm going to call this more than just a passion project, right? But this is something that's been years in the making. You've had all these pieces in your brain or you're putting these things together. But also for the past, you know, coming up to two years, we've been dealing with 
this global pandemic. How has COVID really influenced your operation? So we got this location November of 2019. And we did some demo and we're getting ready to start construction when COVID hit. And instead of pulling out money, then we were like, nope, we're waiting. We're not doing anything until, because it's better to be on the hook for just the rent and the insurance and utilities, especially if you're not running anything, because we weren't, we would just like shut the AC off. There's nothing in here. There's no point. Um, but now we're on the hook for a lot more. And uh, we started construction probably late September of 2020. The original plan when we got the location was to open in August of 2020. But uh, we, we knew when COVID hit and they started doing lockdowns, so that was not gonna happen. When they started talking about vaccines is when we were like, okay, let's move forward because hopefully we'll time this right and things will be opening by the time we're ready to open. I think we timed it well. Now with the mask mandate going back into effect, what a lot of people don't realize is the onus is on us to make sure that people do what they're supposed to when they're in here. ATC can pull our permit. Wow. Yeah. And that's so, major for your business. Yeah. We can't livelihood. if we don't have the ATC permit. So that's uh, it's very important. We're going to have to enforce it. And uh, I, when, I, when I set up the tap room, I set up the tables, I purposely set them up spaced out. We have a, a pretty large space here, which will work in our favor. Um, so I spaced everything out and I just have never changed it really. And so all the tables are the appropriate distance apart and we will leave them that way. Are there any other adjustments are part of this kind of what we've experienced, what you've experienced that you're going to keep going with moving forward? Is there something positive about this for you? I think people have been really ready to get out and do things. You know, we've we vaccinated as soon as we were able. We are requiring everybody that works here to be vaccinated because we deal with public. I don't feel like it's the right thing to do to not do that. And a lot of the people that are here, that come here, especially our regular regulars, they know that we're vaccinated. So they, I think they feel more comfortable. At least I hope, to, hope that's the case. But it's frustrating on one hand because what scares us is potential lockdown again because we can't support this place now, now that it's open, now that it's running, we can't support it on our own. So that's the scary part of things. I think the good part of things is if everybody does what they're supposed to, everybody wears a mask and hopefully chooses to vaccinate themselves, then maybe we can get back to normal. I wanna be back to normal. And this is kind of, I, I feel like this is back to normal when we're able to do business like we'd like to. And so I think it's given a lot of people a piece of normal, which is nice. What has been your coolest, your craziest, your weirdest, or your most dangerous thing you've done in the name of your work? I, I feel like doing this was pretty darn crazy. <laughs> I, I, am, I am not a risk taker. So it took a lot of fighting myself to do this. I fought myself every step of the way. And I've had, I'd have little moments of bravery where I'd say screw it and email the person I needed to email or call the person I needed to call to make the next step and do the next thing. And uh, taking out a loan out of my retirement to do this was probably the, the craziest thing I've ever done in my life. Wow. 
<laughs> so yeah, we we are we are not funded by investors. We are self-funded. That that in itself is could be scary. So yeah, yeah, it's terrifying. That whole idea of risk, right? I, I'm with you. There's things that I second guess and I'll I'll be like, eh, do I do it? And I personally find that it tends to keep me from doing something that could be amazing. How have you, Tiffany? What have you done to convince yourself to kind of keep pushing forward? What do you do to kind of keep that drive going? I have a lot of people that support me and that are behind me. You know, I have some really good friends and I have a great husband and that helps a lot. You know, he managed a lot of the construction of this place. I came in and worked after work and put up drywall and did the mud and did all the stuff, but he was managing the contractors and making sure they were here and doing what they needed to do and just having a team. And so by the time we get to that point where we're doing construction, like you have no choice, there's no turning back. Once you take out that money, there's no, you, you don't turn back. You have no choice now. You keep going, but all the little freak outs I've had uh, <laughs> the last few years trying to get to this being open. And then the, the weekend we opened, I don't think I stopped smiling. So talk to me, what, what happened the weekend you, you were open? Uh, we got our permit like 15 minutes before we opened. <laughs> and uh you know then we posted it and it was I just I, I couldn't believe we finally had people in the doors and we were finally serving them beer and things were finally happening that had to feel incredible yeah yeah it's, it's pretty awesome do you remember the first beer you served I remember the first person I served I I okay so, so I think she got four different things <laughs> well, that's still cool. Four yeah, different yeah. things. The first yeah. person. Yeah. Uh, okay. So in your work though, so you've just talked about, you know, how your husband was managing, helping manage the construction. You've had an incredible mm -hmm. team behind you. You were, you were doing the drywall. So that I'm imagining there's yeah, been a did, lot. We did a lot of the work ourselves. If it wasn't plumbing or electrical, we did it ourselves. Wow. So Is this stuff, did you have to learn this, these skills, or did you already know these? Did you um, a lot of them we had to learn. Like Chris, Chris, my husband knows a lot of stuff about, he used to build houses with his dad. So he framing and stuff like that. He got some help from his dad. And so, um, yeah, some of the stuff we knew, some of the stuff we asked people, we know who had the expertise for doing the drywall. I watched a bunch of YouTube videos. <laughs> Thank goodness for YouTube. You just, you just learn what you need to learn. When I epoxied the bar, I had done a test piece a couple years ago. So I already kind of knew what I was doing when I did the epoxy for the bar. It was just the color. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had to go do a bunch of research. I've done a lot of research and a lot of different things to make this, to make this do, do what it has done. Which harkens back to, you know, your, your work here at, as a, a researcher, yeah. as a scientist, you know, knowing how much do you have to go in to prepare to get yeah. that done? How many people do you have working with you to help brew? Well, I have one person who is principally here to help me brew. And, but right now he is at a temporary job. So my husband gets roped into it occasionally. <laughs> and oh, then, good to have and partners. then I have a, a girl who's a bartender who may end up helping me brew uh, in the other guy's absence. So kind of as we're wrapping up, I, I like to come to kind of this reflection on where you've been, where you are now, and where you're wanting to go in the future. Um, within your career, 
what have been some of the best lessons that you've learned? And how have you handled the hiccups that have occurred in your pathway? A lot of the lessons I learned were while I was managing research labs, just learning how to manage people and learning how to deal with problems that come up in experiments that, you know, is it salvageable or not? Or, uh, I mean, cause I started in Dr. Donzi's lab, uh, David Donzi, and I, I worked for Steph Cormier. I worked for James Aroni, I worked for Galvez. I worked for Dr. Liu. Uh, I helped her start her lab. So that was kind of the, okay, here's how you start something. You figure out what you need. And so I, I just, I learned a lot doing that job. And I worked for the crime lab for a few years in there. I was a DNA analyst for a few years for the crime lab. I was always just kind of trying to find the thing that I loved to do. And, you know, I liked the work in the crime lab. Okay. But I didn't like the fact that, you know, suddenly everything becomes public record, including where you live and the criminals you need to worry about are the smart ones who would put that together. Um, <laughs> so I, I got out of that and went back to school. That was part of me going back to school, but I've done, I've done so many different things. I've worked in so many different labs. I've worked with a lot of different people and luckily keep in touch still with some of them. So where I am now sitting right now is where I want to be. You know, I have to have a job to support us right now. Maybe in three to five years, this will support us, but right now it's not, it's not anywhere close, <laughs> but, um, it's, it's something I enjoy. I don't even think about it as work. The pathway that you've taken to get to where you are now, it's allowed you to explore the interests and to really fully unpack if it was the best fit for you. And then it's all gotten you to where you are now. I think that you're onto something really cool. And it sounds like the community around you is also seeing how cool and yeah. are joining you into the joining in on this experience and we have a cool little team you know we have some close friends and we, my husband and, the, and two of the people that work here have known each other for probably 30 years i'm more of a newcomer to that to that circle tiffany this has been fun i'm glad i'm glad that you've <laughs> shared your story really i am i i'm glad that you've shared your story i think that i could probably ask you a thousand more questions as it relates to beer but that might be on another side. <laughs> um, I'm excited. I was looking at, you know, what you had available. And when I saw the Satsuma, I was like, heck yes, I want to try that. And I definitely want to try this coffee, Amber, because I am a coffee. Give me a coffee porter. Give me an Amber. Put those things together. <laughs> I like trying beers with twists. Is there anything else that you'd like to share uh, as we wrap up? One of the things we do that's different, we have flavor shots. So you can add flavors to beers as well. So fruit flavors and you know, like coconut, some floral flavors. And so people make their own creations and we have a, a list of like mixology now. <laughs> okay, so hold on, we're not done customers, yet. What was customers are getting involved. <laughs> it's awesome. So how did you come up with the flavor shots for beer? It was really just kind of a fluke. The company sent us a sample. We took, we bought some beer, brought it home with the sample and tried it. And we're like, whoa, this is really good. Can we do this at the bar? So I just checked with the lawyer to see if it was legal. <laughs> and it's legal. 
So, so what are some of your fun combinations? What do you think are good um, pairings? I do a pineapple IPA and somebody started putting coconut in it. So it's a pina colada IPA. Oh, and wow. So, <laughs> and, uh, let's see. I'm trying to look at the menu from way over here. For the blood orange wheat, we can put vanilla in it. Really? So blood, yeah. you have a blood, blood orange, orange wheat with vanilla makes a, a dream sickle. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we do some fun flavor combinations and people are always coming up with some weird stuff. Vanilla in the coffee amber has been popular and I'm going to have to make the guy who came up with it name it. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, well, that's a fun, that's a fun kind of aspect of a brewery is, yeah. you know, the, the, the customers having, having some kind of recognition for those pieces. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So that's kind of a fun, different thing that we do that I don't see a lot of breweries doing. No, yours is the first that I've heard about. And so again, that kind of adds to this interesting twist um, that you're cultivating with your, your space. They're going to have to take a little road trip. We have friends in Mark, Marksville, so I'll have to come have to, to take more miles north and come see us. <laughs> well, Tiffany, this has been fun. Thank you so much for joining me. No problem. Are you ready for more? You can find Tiffany's story on Science Next the official blog of the LSU College of Science. This episode of LSU Experimental was recorded and produced in the CXC Studio 151 here on the campus of Louisiana State University and is supported by LSU's communication across the curriculum and the College of Science. Today's interview was conducted, edited, and produced by me. Theme music is Brambi at Full Gallop by PC3. To learn more about today's episode, ask questions, and recommend future investigators, visit cxc.lsu.edu forward slash experimental. And while you're there, subscribe to the podcast. We're available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.